one of your sermons, and he said, uh, no, 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 that's okay, you know, it's your last Sunday here, go right ahead, I'm, I'm eager to hear you. And now what I know is Tyler didn't want to be blamed for going long and letting the ice cream melt. Um, I, on the other hand, have the excuse that if I do, well, what are you going to do, fire me? Um, so I'm going to try and be relatively brief. I do have my timer on, but I also know that this will probably be the last chance I get to speak to quite a lot of you. Um, I hope at some point to get back and visit, uh, but as we've all learned over the last two years, a lot of life is uncertain. Uh, we don't always know exactly what's going to happen, and so I'm going to say to all of you now, while I have the chance to, to say to all of you, that I love you very much and that I'm so thankful for every one of you and everything that you've done, whether it's uh, given me a, a place to stay or given me furniture to live on or taken me out to eat or had me over to dinner or even just had an encouraging word or a smile for me while we've been here at worship services. I'm deeply appreciative. I've got a couple of pictures, I realized I don't take enough pictures, of some of the things that have happened over the last two summers or in the case of last summer, not really happened. Uh, you can see the, the Zoom Bible class that's up there that I had with the, the younger crowd, the KFC group, some of the things we've gotten to do this summer. Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful for you all. I hope to see you again in this life, uh, but if not, then I hope I get to see you all in the next. Last summer, uh, when I got to speak at the end of the summer, I gave a lesson on the game of life. I don't know how many of you remember that or were here for that, uh, but it was kind of a culmination of the Bible class I'd been teaching with the youth group, which last summer was board game theology. We'd taken a bunch of different board games and uh, kind of found a spiritual application in the names of about 13 different board games. And so I wanted to end with a sermon that kind of summed it all up and also gave you guys, as the adults, a little taste of what the, the teen class had been having. Well, this summer, the teens have been doing two classes. We've done on Sunday mornings, the Minor Prophets, uh, and I've covered all 12 of them, and I don't really have another Minor Prophet to cover tonight. So we're, instead of doing a Minor Prophet, we're going to do the Wednesday night class that we've been doing, which has been questions from Scripture. When I was thinking and, and trying to come up with ideas for a Bible class, one of the things that I thought back that I'd sat through a number of was questions about the Bible, where everybody in class would write down some questions and the teacher would try and answer as many of those questions as possible from the Bible. I thought, well, you know, that's great, but I've been through a lot of those, and also that depends on getting a bunch of questions. So the safer option then maybe is let's look at questions that are actually in the Bible. And so we've looked at a bunch of different questions this summer. Uh, questions from Genesis and Joshua all the way through Scripture. Uh, you'll notice there are three from the bottom. A question from 2 Kings. Uh, that was during VBS when we got to talk about Elijah and Elisha and one of the pivotal questions in that story. Uh, and tonight I wanted to sum up this class because there's one question that I haven't gotten to talk about yet uh, with the, the teen class. And so that's going to be the topic of our discussion briefly tonight. What is like that great city? It's actually the last question in all of Scripture. And we find it in Revelation chapter 18. So if you'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation 18, I want to walk through with you guys, uh, with the exception of not being able to really have a discussion like we try to do in Bible class, the exact same formula 
that I've been using with the teen class, which is something that has really benefited me. I hope it's benefited them as well, uh, because you, you look at this question from a variety of different ways. And so it's a four-step process we're going to look at tonight. I'm going to walk you through the process, but also this particular question, which I've been really interested in studying over the past couple of weeks. So we're going to start by reading the whole passage. I'm going to read for us all of Revelation chapter 18 tonight, and then we're going to draw some conclusions and talk about this question, what is like that great city? After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. And the cup which she's mixed, mixed double for her, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ships, sailors, and as many who trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads, cried out weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city and which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she's made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. more. 
The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpets shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So that's step one. We've read the passage. Now let's look at some context, context of this question specifically. So the first thing we want to look at, our question, what is like this great city? Well, who's asking it? Well, if we look at verses 17 and 18, it's every shipmaster, those who travel by ship, the sailors, and as many as trade on the sea. These are people who made their living by the sea. Uh, and so we see in here some rich men, some shipmasters. We see some regular working men, right? Some sailors. But the thing that binds this group together here, and really for that matter binds them together with the merchants and kings that we also read about, is that none of these people are doing anything to help. They're standing at a distance. They're standing afar off. These people are upset about the destruction of the city, but notice they're not running in with buckets to put the fire out. These guys are content to stand afar off. So who are they asking this question to then, right? We know who's asking the question. Who are they asking? Well, it's actually a rhetorical question this particular time. Sometimes this has a really fascinating answer. Not this time. This time it's just themselves, right? What's like that great city? And now that we know it's a rhetorical question, we also know the answer, right? Their answer is nothing. Nothing can ever be as great as this city was. This is the ultimate pinnacle of human achievement. This city is the top. That's their answer. I'm going to argue tonight that there are, in fact, other places like this great city. And, in fact, there are places greater than this city. And so now that we've got the context of the question itself, let's see if we can answer it in a way that brings it home a little bit more to us. But if we're going to find other places like this particular great city, like the Babylon that is described in Revelation, first we have to recognize what were the characteristics of this city. What hallmarks made this city the way that it was? And once we understand that, we can look around and see if there are other examples of it. And so there are three characteristics, I think, that define this great city. And the first one is that it was a place obsessed with luxury. If we look in verses 11 through 17, which we're not going to read again, uh, it's a massive, massive list of stuff. And it's all kinds of stuff. And a lot of it is still stuff that would be really valuable today. But we've got to stop and remember, this is the ancient world. They're not walking down to Walmart. They're not hopping on Amazon to get all of this stuff ordered, right? In order for them to get all this variety of, of wealth, it means that all over the earth, there are merchants who are trading with this great city, right? We see in this list things like oils that would have come from India or Arabia and metals that would have come from somewhere in Europe, uh, maybe particularly Greece. We see horses from various places. We see uh, wine that would have come from around the Mediterranean where there was lots of water. Uh, we see slaves that would have come from around the known world, right? And there's just so much money involved in this scene, right? The city is said to be clothed in it. 
But it's not just money that makes up this luxury. It's also money and power. Because attracted by all of the wealth that is in this city, we see all the kings of the earth. And they're wealthy men in and of themselves, and they're bringing their wealth and adding it to the wealth that is already there in Babylon, and they're bringing their political power and adding it to what is already there in Babylon, and you add up to a pretty significantly luxuriously, luxurious city, right? This is a place that I would be comfortable living in even back in the ancient world. Having nice things is not a bad thing. You know, if we were to continue reading on in Revelation and flip over to chapter 21, we'll see a description of heaven. And heaven is also going to be described in terms of, of valuable gems, right? We'll talk about the streets of gold. Luxury in and of itself is not a bad thing. The problem that Babylon has, that this great city has, is that its focus is on the luxury. All of the other stuff comes because they have money and power. Heaven, all of the other stuff is, is side notes, right? The focus in heaven is on the glory of God, not on the golden streets. You know, I've had a lot of discussions. Uh, you guys know that I, I love to sing, and, and one of my favorite types of songs is songs about heaven. And I've had some really great discussions with some friends about some of the songs that we sing about heaven. You know, I'm okay with singing, uh, Lord, I want a brand new mansion, robe, and a crown in glory. Partly because it's a fun song to sing, but partly because I, I like the song. And that's great. As long as we don't remember that the more important thing is how sweet it will be to meet the Lord when he comes in glory by and by. It's not the robe and the crown that I really want. It's to be in the presence of God. And that's the focus in heaven. Here in Babylon, we see that that is not the case. They're obsessed with the luxury. It's also a place that is obsessed with industry. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul writes to the, the Christians there, he says, If a man won't work, neither shall he eat. In fact, the church, the church at Thessalonica evidently had a problem uh, with people just kind of neglecting their day-to-day -day life. They were quitting their jobs. Uh, they were essentially just standing around waiting like, Hey, Jesus, I'm ready. Come back, you know, whenever you want. And Paul says, guys, that's, that's not the way we're going to go about this. You've got to go about your daily life living it in preparation for when Christ comes back. But you don't get to sit around and, and do nothing. Here, this great city in Revelation is doing the exact opposite. They're so focused on their day-to-day -day life. We see this description of the musicians and the craftsmen, uh, newlyweds, people getting married that they're focused on. Some of them, it says the light of a lamp will not shine on you anymore, right? Some of the people are just going about their daily lives. But they're so focused on all of the wealth that is in the city that the people that they have raised up on pedestals are these merchants, right? They're like, hey, if I just go about my daily life and I work really hard, and I do like these merchants do, maybe I'll make a lot of money. Maybe I'll be successful that way. Right? That's not what Paul was telling the Thessalonians. He wasn't saying, go back to work so you can work really hard and make lots of money. No, no, no. You've missed the point. And it's not just the people in this great city. But it's the whole world has become enthralled 
with the people who are making this money there in Babylon. It says at the end of verse 23, the merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. We might use the phrase, they had them under a spell, right? Not talking about magic, not talking about sorcery, but everybody was so focused on making money and the people who made the money that they'd forgotten what was truly important in life. So we've got a city that's obsessed with luxury, a city that's obsessed with industry, and a city that's obsessed with immorality. Uh, there are some Christian traditions, some Christian denominations that have this list called the seven deadly sins. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, uh, but it's this idea that there are seven sins that, the, that are the root of all of the other sins, right? It's pride, wrath, gluttony, sloth, lust, envy, and greed. Uh, which whether you agree that this is the root of all sins or not, that sure is a lot of sins. And here in this passage in Revelation 18, all but sloth we find right off the bat, right? We see that this great city is guilty of wrath, that it's guilty of lust by committing fornication with these kings, that in their focus on the abundance of luxury right there, you've got envy and gluttony and greed all going on. And then the one that really gets to me is, is the pride that this city has. Babylon personified as a woman that says she glorified herself. She says in her heart, I sit as queen. I am no widow and will not see sorrow. I'm never going to be sad because I'm that great. All right? And this is such a stark contrast between Babylon and so many of the other figures that we see in Revelation who are making it all about anybody but themselves. Who are making it all about God Right? I think about the angel that John tries to bow down and worship and the angel says, no, 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 get up. I'm not God. I think about the elders, men who are respected, who are worshiping God and throwing their crowns down. I think about God himself who's not saying, hey, you all need to listen and bow down to me. He's accepting the praise that everybody else is giving him. Right? Because he deserves it. Babylon has not done anything like that. To, to deserve this power, this pride that she's piling on herself. And not only are they guilty of all of these sins, the one that really gets to me is the very last verse in the chapter. In her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain on the earth. Not only is this a wicked city that's doing a bunch of bad stuff, this is a city that is intentionally going after the people of God. This is a city who wants nothing to do with God to the point that they will kill his people. So, we've got a city obsessed with luxury, a city obsessed with industry, a city obsessed with immorality. So in what little time we've got left here, what is like that great city? One of them I think about is ancient Babylon, right? There's a reason that the name Babylon is used for this city in Revelation even though the actual historical Babylon was destroyed some five or six hundred years before John sat down and wrote the book of Revelation. Right? I think about Daniel chapter 5 when Belshazzar throws the big party and the hand without a body appears on the wall and writes that inscription, your kingdom has been numbered by God, it's been weighed in the balance You've been found wanting, it's been divided, and given to the Medes and the Persians, right? Because the ancient city of Babylon was doing all of the things that we just saw this 
great city in Revelation doing? They were so obsessed with luxury and their daily lives and their sin that they wouldn't heed the warnings that God was giving them. And that very night that that message was given, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Right? So a place like ancient Babylon or maybe a place like Edom. In Obadiah chapter 10, excuse me, not chapter 10, chapter 1. There's only one chapter of Obadiah. Verse 10, running through verse 16, God has a condemnation on the Edomites. He says, for violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. You shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. He says, the Israelites were being destroyed. Babylon came and was tearing down Jerusalem. The descendants of Jacob and you, Edom, descendants of Esau, these should have been your brothers. But not only were you so interested in living your daily life that you weren't bothered to help, you were so interested in luxury that you took part. And you wanted whatever you could get out of the spoils of Jerusalem. You stabbed your brother in the back. Industry, luxury, immorality. Ancient Babylon, Edom, Nineveh. Nahum is talking about the the terrible things that Nineveh has done. He says, woe to the bloody city. It's all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. If you get in Nineveh, you're not going to make it out. It's that immoral of a city. Not only is it the, the capital of the powerful Assyrian Empire, not only is it wealthy beyond belief, if you go there, you're not getting out. They're that bad. And God says, I'm going to cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for her? Right? It's the same idea that we see with this great city in Revelation that nobody even wants to come near it as it's destroyed because they're afraid for their own lives. But let's not think it's always just, you know, them. It's not always the enemies of God's people like Babylon or Edom or Nineveh because this same message is given to Israel. We look at the prophet Amos starting in chapter 3, yeah, chapter 3 verse 12. Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria. He says, you're going to be destroyed so bad, there's only going to be scraps left. In verse 14, he says, that in the day of the Lord, I punish Israel for their transgressions. I also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel, and horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I'll destroy the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish. The great houses shall have an end, says the Lord. And then he turns and he starts talking to these wealthy wives of the prominent men of Israel. And he says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, crush the needy. Say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. Right? And he says that the women who are, are married to these prominent men who should be saying, we need to go care for the poor, we need to take care of these people, are too interested in living their life of luxury and going about their day-to-day -day life and living indulgently and oppressively 
that they're not bothering to listen to the word of the Lord. And in chapter 4, verse 2, The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, Behold, the day shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks, and your posterity with fish hooks. Right? He says, you're all going to be led off into captivity because you were too busy to keep your focus where it needed to be. So we've got all kinds of places that are like this great city. And of course, one of the most important that we note is the city of Rome. Because when John is writing the book of Revelation, he uses a lot of different imagery and a lot of different metaphors here. But what the city that he's talking about isn't the city of Babylon. Right? Like I said, that had been destroyed. It's the city of Rome. Because Rome is the oppressor. Because Rome is the, the very definition of luxury, industry, and immorality in John's life. And so this is why we see in chapter 18, verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Rome is going to be destroyed just like all of these other wicked, immoral, great cities. And God's going to do it and avenge all of the Christians that Rome has hunted down and killed. So step one is reading the passage. Step two is looking at the context of the question. Step three is are answering the original question. Step four in this question study, take, it, take the question, turn it around, and ask it to us. So tonight I want us, as we close, to think about do we live in a place that is like that great city? Because clearly those sailors were wrong when they said nothing's like it, right? Because we see over and over again a pattern of places that are like that great city, that are obsessed with luxury, industry, and immorality. And so I ask you, do we live in a country? Do we live in a, a state? Do we live in a world that is obsessed with these things? And I think all too often the answer is yes. And we know that and we get that. But the problem is when we stop by asking that and, and leaving it there. Because my question to you tonight is, is your life in a place like that great city? Is your life in a place where you're more focused on being comfortable and just going about your day-to-day -day life and kind of overlooking the sin that is in it instead of focusing on God? It's entirely possible for God's people to be in that place because we saw it happen to Israel. And if we were to look in the New Testament, we'd see it happen again. Is your life in that place? That's a question that only you can answer. I can't answer that for you. But if you say yes, well then the next question is, what do we do about it? Well, in chapter 18, verse 4, while God is still calling down the condemnation of this great city, there's another voice from heaven that says, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in its sins, but not only in its sins, in its plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. There's a judgment coming on this city. There's a judgment coming on everybody who lives in a place like that great city. And it is our job to get out. 
Jesus said that foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't talk about luxury. Jesus said he needed to be about his father's business, not his own. He didn't think about his own personal life. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Not to be entangled with the immorality in the kingdoms of this world. So the question tonight is, do you believe him? Do you believe him when he says these things? And do you believe that like it says here in Revelation, there's a judgment coming? Are you ready? Are you ready to repent? Are you ready to turn around and get out of the city before God destroys it? Are you ready to confess a new Lord, confess a new citizenship? Not in this great city of Babylon, but in the so much greater city, the new Jerusalem, that God is, is established that his church is going to inherit? Are you ready to be baptized? Are you ready to commit to a life getting out of that city and not turning back? We think about Lot and his wife, Genesis. You've got to get out of the city and keep going. You don't stop and wait. If you're ready, now's the time. God's not going to hold off forget forever. Her sins have reached to heaven. God's remembered her iniquities. I don't know how much time we have. But I hope that if you need to get out of this city, if you need to get out of a life that is too obsessed with the little things to focus on God, that you'll make that choice tonight. If you did get out of that city, but you stopped to turn around, now's the time. Get out. We're all walking the same way away from that city. Walk with us. Run with us. Right? If there is anything that we can do to help you tonight, if you're ready to be baptized, if you need the prayers of the church in any way, please come forward tonight as we stand and sing the invitation song. Yes, oh.